Oh, isn't God good? Just wave your hand if you think God's good. Oh, it's awesome. Um, I, I want to start this morning with a bit of a, a confession. Okay, I'm not really good at confessions, but it's to do with my, my phone and the supermarket. Now, some of you might empathise or understand uh, firsthand what I'm about to share, but, but sometimes when I'm following Nicola around the supermarket, trying to be a supportive husband, trying to be a supportive husband, I sometimes get a little bit bored. And when I'm a little bit bored following Nicola around the supermarket, I might just get a little bit distracted with my phone. Uh, I might read an email uh, or a Twitter post. If, if on those occasions when we're standing there looking at the 20 brands of baked beans and trying to work out which is the best value based on the cost and the quantity. If I, in those situations, get just a little bit bored, I might even be tempted to play a game on my phone. And so I'm there distracted by my phone and following Nicola around, and there have been those occasions when I glance up from my phone and Nicola is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> Nicola's moved on to a completely different aisle around the corner. Um, there are those times when I'm following and whatever with my phone, and I glance up and Nicola's now gone in that direction. Anybody empathise with me on this? Uh, what normally happens is a frenzied few minutes where I try to catch up with Nicola before she realises I've not been the supportive husband because I've become distracted by my phone. Uh, some of you will experience that. Anybody? Thank you, John. There's two of us in the room. Um, why do I tell that story? Because for me, it shows us me one very, really important lesson. That what you fix your eyes on determines where you follow and who you follow. You know, God has awesome plans for your life. He has plans to prosper you. He has plans to give you a future and a hope. He has plans for your career, plans for your family, plans for your work life, plans for your finances that are totally amazing and far beyond anything we can ask or imagine. Of course, to move in those plans that God has for your life, you have to be following the direction that he takes for you. We understand that, most of us in this room. We have to follow in order to move into the things that God has for us. Of course, a question that many of us has, has is, is this. How do I know where to look in order to move into the direction that God has for my life? I know he has great plans. I know he has a great purpose. He's destined me for success. He's destined me for significance. But how do I know where to look that I might follow into that, those plans and destiny? And I actually think we overcomplicate the answer sometimes. My very simple answer to that question this morning, you want to know where to look in order to move into the plans and to follow God into your destiny, fix your eyes on Jesus. It's not rocket science, but it is so significant. You see, above all else, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to follow him to move in his direction. Of course, it's really important that at some point we get to grips with the details of where God wants us to go and what he wants us to do. But simply following Jesus is the most significant thing that we will do. 
Understand this when we're looking for God's plan for our lives. Very often, God does not download a 10-point strategy of how you might fulfill his purposes and then sends you a way to do it. God doesn't normally do that. Jesus simply says, follow me. Follow me. You know, I had an encounter in the presence of God probably about five years ago where, amongst other things, this truth really began to dawn on me. It's something that we know, but for me, it really became a reality at that point in time. And I began to understand this. I don't need to know everything that God has got in store for me. I just need to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Actually, I don't need to, excuse the old cliche, I don't need to know, who, uh, I don't need to know the future because I know who holds the future. And as I fix my eyes on Jesus and just follow him, I will move, in, move into the things that he has for my life. Um, interestingly, one of the first things Jesus did when I understood that is that he moved me out of where I was. Um, Nicola and I were in a, a wonderful church, um, small, smallest church in Doncaster. I was a senior leader there, and, and God said, follow me, and he we followed him out of that place. And it, it was a good time in the church at that time, actually. And uh, Jesus said, follow me. And he brought us to Hull. Why are we here? It's great to be here. Um, but at the point in time in coming, no aims, no ambitions, no goal setting, nothing like that. It was just, that's where Jesus is taking us. Let's be brave enough just to go and keep that as the center We need to follow Jesus. Here's some Bible verses from the book of Hebrews. Um, I'll just rattle these off, um, but they're so significant. Hebrews 2.9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Hebrews 12.2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I, I can't stress enough, and if the only thing that you take away from this morning is this phrase, then keep it in your head. I need to fix my eyes on Jesus so that I might follow into the destiny that he has for my life. Fix my eyes on Jesus. So what I want to do for a short time is just talk about Jesus. Hallelujah. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say anything that a lot of you don't already know. There may be some, some new stuff, but... I don't want to bring some blinding new revelation this morning. I just want us to think about Christ and think about how he leads us into the plans that God has for us. And um, knowing that as we focus on him, we will actually end up moving in the right direction. So let's start right at the beginning. Um, Jesus was born as a man. Okay, I know it's not Christmas. There's only six months to go, everybody, by the way. Okay, it's not Christmas yet. Um, but, you know, I think when, when we're in the whole Christmas season, we, we, whether we like to admit it or not, we get tied up with, with presents and Christmas productions and carol services and musical stuff. That actually, we perhaps lose the wonder of what we really celebrate every 25th of December. Isaiah 7:14, The virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and she will call him... Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
They called him God with man. Just think about that for a moment. Okay. The, the hugeness, that's probably not a word, sorry English teachers. Okay. The hugeness of almighty God. All his divinity, all his power, all his majesty. The, the infiniteness, that's probably not the other word either. The infiniteness of who he is actually condensed to a little baby boy probably five, six pound in weight, every sort of child. He became one of us. The fullness of God in human form. Wow. Wow. Why did that happen? There's probably a hundred theological answers to that question, but why did God become a man? I believe one of the most fundamental reasons God became a man is this, so that I could have a personal relationship with God. Um, let me explain what I, why I say that. Hebrews 4.15 says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he was faced all of the, for he faced all the same testings that we do, Yet he did not sin. He understands our weakness because he became one of them, one of us. You see, relationships are, are built through what we perhaps call shared experiences. We will recognize this. If I meet somebody and I'm talking to them and they've been through an experience similar to mine, actually I, I have a connection with them because we've shared some sort of experience in our past and, and I know that that other person understands about me, understands about my situation. Through shared experiences, we build connection. Now, God didn't need to become one of us to understand us. We get that. He knows everything. He made you from the dust. He understands every emotional thought, every positive thing, every negative thing that's going on in our lives. And he didn't need to become a man to understand that. But because he became a man, I know that he understands. And that's something of significance to me. You see, if I was to try and connect to this, this God out there who, who's up in heaven, who, who's all-powerful and all-knowing, who watches over everything, okay, that's great. It's somebody to worship and revere and respect. But because he became one of us, actually, I know that he recognizes what I'm going through. And that builds personal connection. Jesus made divinity accessible. He made God someone who was not just out there, but someone with whom I can be a friend. You know, part of God's plan for your life and my life, it's a, something that rolls off our tongue, but get the reality, okay? The part of the plan for God's life, for our, part of the plan of God for our life is that we live in really close, personal relationship with him. He's not just a God out there. He actually wants to be our friend, and he wants us to be his friend.
And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, God Almighty, who became human form, who shared our experiences, when we fix our eyes on Jesus as a man, God the man, then actually we end up walking in the direction of close personal relationship with Jesus. Anybody want to know God this morning? Anybody? Fix your eyes on Jesus. He'll take you into a place of personal relationship. However, Jesus didn't stay a baby. He grew up. And uh, when he grew up, he began to do all sorts of really amazing things. Um, He taught and he did miracles and lots of good things. Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Notice the first part of that verse. God anointed Jesus with Na- Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and then he went about doing good. He was anointed of the Holy Spirit, and then he did some amazing things. He healed the sick. Somebody say amen. amen. Woo! He healed the sick. He raised the dead. Woo! Ah, we're getting there this morning a little bit. He calmed the storm. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and, and two fish. He freed people who were bound by demons. On one occasion, he enabled a man to walk on water. We'll come back to that miracle in a minute. He enabled a man to walk on water. Um, We think it was great that Jesus walked on water. How awesome that he enabled somebody like you to take a few steps over the Sea of Galilee. Um... Because we know these miracles, many of us, and we've heard them many times, again, I think sometimes the, the greatness of them, just, we just miss it. Just, just imagine one of the scenes out of the Gospels. Imagine Jairus, who was one of the leaders of the synagogue, Jairus and his wife, uh, in a room with Jesus and three of disciples, And there in front of them was a bed with Jairus, his dead daughter, laying on it. Just imagine that scene for a moment. Imagine the grief, the the pain, the turmoil that that family was going through at that point in time. Just, Just picture the scene in your head. And then, just in your imagination, just imagine Jesus now leaning over the bed and saying in such a gentle, perhaps even a quiet voice, little girl, wake up. And her eyes opened. And in that moment, the the immense pain and grief and suffering of a family was turned into great joy and unspeakable praise to the glory and the honor of Jesus. A 12-year-old girl lay dead. A family was broken one moment and another moment she was up. She was hungry. She wanted to eat and the family were all there praising and giving glory to Jesus. The power of this man, Christ, God with us. We look to him, the miracle worker. Question, why did Jesus do miracles? Why did he do lots of good things? Of course, partly it was to demonstrate his power uh, of God. But I also think there's something else in the Gospels and the miracles of Jesus that we actually easily miss. 
Jesus did miracles as an example for us to follow. Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers. And then he sent out his disciples with exactly that same mandate. He said, go and heal the sick and raise the dead. Do good everywhere you go. See, when we look to Jesus, we see a man who was empowered by the Holy Spirit as an example for us to do exactly the same things that he did. And actually, even more than that, Jesus says in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I go to the Father. Yet Jesus did some amazing stuff, yes? Yes. Uh, he says you're going to do even more amazing stuff. How about that? And when we look to Jesus and we focus our eyes on him, we naturally begin to walk in the direction of the miraculous. Now, miracles, they don't always look as spectacular as what we think they ought to look. I believe we walk in the miraculous, if we're following Jesus, we walk in the miraculous naturally every day. Miracles don't always look like the dead raising and blind eyes being opened. The miraculous can be this. I speak a word of encouragement to somebody who's depressed, and miraculously God takes away thoughts of suicide from their mind. It's not a huge, spectacular, big thing to our, our thinking and, and, and what we see. And yet to that person, it is truly a miraculous transformation that has happened. Um, if I'm focused on Jesus, if I'm following him, I can walk into a room that's full of tension, full of discord, and just by my very presence, actually a calmness begins to descend. It's a miraculous piece of Jesus. Don't, don't think that miracles are just spectacular all the time. God has ordained you, and part of his plan for your life is that you would walk in the miraculous every day. Miracles come in all sorts of shapes and sizes as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we just simply go in his direction. We find ourselves, like Peter did, he stepped onto the Lake of Galilee by following Jesus. If we follow him, we find ourselves stepping very naturally into the place of the miraculous. We look to him, who is a miracle worker and empowers us to live in the miraculous. But of course, Jesus wasn't just born, neither did he just do miracles. He died a cruel death. Again, the Easter story. Many of us know it so well. Just let it, fix your eyes on the Easter story again just for a moment. God, as man, went around everywhere doing good, performing miracles. Then they took him. They whipped him. They rammed a crown of thorns into his head. They punched him and they spat on him. They gave him a heavy wooden cross and made him carry it through the crowded, hot, dusty streets of Jerusalem. 
When they climbed up to the top of the hill, Mount Calvary, they laid the cross down and laid Jesus on it. And then with a hammer, they rammed nails through his hands and his feet. They lifted up the cross, dropped it into a hole, and they left him there to die. The horror of that story has echoed through Christian history for 2,000 years. And it's powerful. Many of us know why Jesus died, but let me just try and focus our thoughts a little bit more on the, the why. Isaiah 53. Surely he, that is Jesus, Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Focus on this for a second. Jesus died on the cross for you. He died to pay the price of your sin and my sin. God took all the wrong stuff that we've done in our lives, stuff that we have done, stuff that we are yet to do. He took all that wrong and he put it onto Jesus. Jesus was being punished for your sin, your wrong, and he was being punished for my sin, my wrong. You know, every one of us has done wrong things. Let us never pretend that we haven't. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death. That was God's punishment. But because Jesus died, his gift to us is a gift of eternal life. We live because Jesus died. You may say, that's not fair. Well, it isn't. Why should an innocent man take our punishment. It's not fair. But this is the amazing grace of God. Jesus loved us so much that he chose to give us life even though he knew that that would involve him dying. That's the amazing grace of God. He demonstrated ultimate grace with every drop of blood that hit the ground at the foot of the cross. Focus on Calvary, the cross. Look at Jesus who died for you and for me. When we look at the cross, we don't just look at a place of punishment. I actually think as we look to Jesus on the cross, we look to a place of, of challenge as well. Because focusing on Jesus, the one who died, challenges us 
to die to ourselves. You know, the Bible teaches us that God commands repentance. Repentance means turning away from everything that God considers to be wrong. And I have to say that these days because there's a lot of things that society considers to be right that God still says is wrong. It's about turning away from everything that God considers to be wrong in our lives. And by doing that, by looking to him who died that we might have life and coming to a place of repentance, we enter into life. This is what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 8. Since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Somebody say hallelujah to that. See, God, a part of God's plan for your life is that you might have abundant life. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus said. If you've not received that life of God this morning, then I want to say to you, look to Jesus, that the God and the man who died for you, turn away from everything that God considers wrong, die for yourself, look to Jesus, and you will receive this amazing abundant life that God wants for every man, woman, and child on the planet. That can be yours. But for those of us who have already received this life, this abundant life, now let me say this to you. Don't let abundant life just become a cliche. Let it become a day-to-day reality of where we're living in our lives. And we enter into that daily abundant life by daily fixing our eyes on Jesus who died so that we might live. Look to Christ. But Jesus didn't stay dead. I love the next bit of the story. It only lasts for three days, the the dark bit. Um, Jesus came back to life again. Let let me remind you of the story. Um, Matthew chapter 28. We're reading Matthew's version of it. 1 to 7. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. Then the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. Listen carefully, okay? Focus on this. He is not here. He has risen. Woo! Jesus has risen. Uh, He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you, Jesus is alive. Now, I'm not going to spend my time this morning trying to prove to you that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but I am going to say two things why I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus is alive. Number one is it says it in the Bible. And I've never found anything else in the Bible to be a lie. So if nothing else is a lie, I have to believe that to be true. Uh, The other reason I believe that Jesus is alive is this, that no dead man can have the effect on my life as what Jesus does. Okay? Jesus has to be alive. Um, No doubt in my mind, 2,000 years ago, he rose from the dead, and he didn't just come back to life then. He's still alive today in heaven forever and forever. So why did Jesus come back to life? Again, many theological answers to that question, but this is one I want to share with you. Jesus rose again to make us a victorious people. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
verse 20 to 22 to start with. Um, but if Christ, has indeed, if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who sleep, for since death came through a man, resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. And then down to verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and this mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and mortal with immortality, the same will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O grave, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Why did Jesus come back again to make us, sorry, why did he rise again to make us a victorious people? Let me explain why. Jesus is rising again, and we'll touch again on this in a minute, but Jesus is rising again shows us that we too will rise again at the end day. Our mortal bodies will die unless Jesus comes back first, and we will be cremated or buried. Um, but when he comes back, every person who has the life of Jesus will come back to life uh, that when he comes again. Um, I believe that to be true. Anybody else with me? Okay. Um, that's going to be a powerful day. When our victory is seen over death. Because we will rise again. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but I actually think that death is the ultimate enemy of life. Anybody want to disagree with me? Okay. Death is the ultimate enemy of life and the ultimate enemy of the life of God. So let's pull this into the present a little bit. If I have power over death, victory over death through the life of Jesus, and I know that's already going to happen in the future, if I have victory over that enemy, which is the greatest enemy, actually, if any other enemy is less, then I can have victory over that as well. I have victory over every circumstance, over every sickness, over every family situation. I have victory over all those enemies now. Why? Because the ultimate enemy, the greatest enemy, has already been defeated in my life because Jesus Christ rose again. Jesus rose again to make us victorious over everything in my life. Now, right now, you may have stuff in your life that you think has the power to rob you of life. You may be in a really difficult family situation. You may be going through a time of grief. You may be in financial crisis. A whole host of stuff which we think, this is too big, this is robbing me of the life that I have in Jesus. Well, God says this to you this morning, you are already victorious over death, which is your ultimate enemy, so I'm going to give you power, and I have already given you power to have victory over all those things. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you and gave his life for you. When we look to him who rose again, to him who has victory over death, we too move in the direction of victory over every circumstance, over every situation, over everything that happens in our lives. We are a victorious people in Jesus. If you're struggling this morning, Luke 
to Christ. The one who has given you victory over death, and remember this, if I have victory over death, I can have victory over everything else that comes into my life as well. Excuse me a second. It's lovely and warm in here, isn't it? (laughs) Positive thinking, it's lovely and warm. Ah. Jesus didn't just rise from the grave. He went back to heaven and is coming back again. Uh, The end of the story does not end with the final pages of the gospel. It's still ongoing. And the great day is coming when Jesus will return. I just want to draw our attention, focus our eyes on, on this aspect of Jesus for a moment. John chapter 14. You know, we often think this passage is a little bit morbid because we often read it at funerals. I think it's one of the greatest few verses in the New Testament. John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many, many rooms. I love the old authorised, old King James version of that. Okay, it talks about mansions, not rooms. Uh, Okay, but here you go. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. The Bible teaches us that right now Jesus is doing a few things in heaven. Okay? He's praying for us, interceding on our behalf before the Father. He's doing some other stuff, including guiding us and watching over us. But I love this picture. Right now in heaven, Jesus is preparing a place for me. He's building me a mansion or a room. Depends where you are. Um, He's building me a mansion. It's got my name on the front door. I just love that. You know, you get these big houses with these gold letter boxes and perhaps the name on on the front door. I I just have this picture of a a street of gold and there, there's my mansion. My name, Mr. James Seeger, engraved on on the gold on the front door. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry everybody, but that mansion is mine. It's not yours. It's an inheritance in heaven reserved for me. It belongs to me. Now, you can go and get your own by all means, but that one is mine and nobody else is getting it. Um, You can have one. But again, how does that relate to now? Because that's future. Because I believe everything that God teaches us should have an impact on our life right, right now, wherever we are. How does that relate to now? Again, this is a journey that I've had to go on. Um, I was born in 1976. For some of you, that sounds young. For some, no, I won't say that. Um, I was born in 1976. So I, growing up in the very late 70s, early 80s, I was still in churches that had a very strong mentality that our aim as Christians and the whole point of the second coming was this to encourage us to stand firm, to hold fast, to keep watching, to keep praying until Jesus comes again. That's what I grew up with. And um, there's certainly an element of truth in that. But actually, it's not about me just waiting. When I focus on the second coming, it should do something dynamic in my life right now that changes who I am and how I live my life. 
See, 1 Peter chapter 1, um, verse 4 and 5, yeah, it talks about protection until Jesus comes, but it, it also says this, that because he's coming, it says we have a living hope that is full of glory and is unspeakable. Okay, a living hope. Or again, I like the old translation. It says a lively hope, a hope that is alive, a hope that is exciting. Um, joy, hope, because Jesus Christ is coming again. And when I have that type of expectation, when I have that type of hope, it actually changes the way I live my life right now. Hope, joy, expectation that Jesus is coming again changes our response to situations in our lives and in the world and in others. You know, I want to be sensitive this morning, I really do, because there's some horrendous stuff that's going off in our world that has touched our nation over the last few weeks and even this last week. Uh, there will be people in this room who have been silent about the stuff that's going on in your life, and yet it's huge, and you feel like it's bringing you to the place of breaking point. Okay? I recognize that I want to be sensitive this morning. But you know, we can look at what's going on in the world, and we can look at what's going on in our own lives, and we can come to a place where we respond in despair. Things are getting worse. And worse. My situation is getting worse and worse. It's a downward spiral. But when we focus our eyes on the fact that Jesus is coming back and we have a home in heaven waiting for us, our response is not one of despair, it's one of hope. Great expectation, and dare I say, it's one of joy. Why? Because no matter how bad things get now, there's going to be a day when every ounce of evil will disappear, when every sickness will flee, when every depressive thought will vanish from our lives. There will be a day where I will walk in a place where the streets shine with the glory of Jesus, where there is no more death, where there is no more pain, where there is no more suffering, where there is just pure perfection. That is our hope as Christian believers this morning. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. And this, this is the point. When, when I can look to that, I say this sensitively now, but I believe this with all my heart. When I look to that, then I see everything that I'm going through and everything in the world, I see that as a temporary inconvenience rather than eternal destiny. Whatever's going off in your life is temporary. Even if we have to wait for Jesus to come back before we're healed, before we have life, before our families are sorted out, and before evil vanishes in the world, even if I have to wait until then, I know that the day's coming when that will happen. So whatever happens right now is temporary. What you were going through is not your final experience. Your final experience is heaven. We look to Jesus as the one who's coming back for us. Jesus, focus on him who became a man that we might walk into personal relationship 
who empowers us with the Holy Spirit so that we might follow him into the miraculous. Jesus, who, who died so that we might follow him into life, that we might follow him into victory because he rose again, and that we might follow him into hope because he's coming back for us. But here's a challenge for us this morning. You know, I hope this morning we've just been able to focus a little bit on Jesus over this last, it's actually nearly 14 minutes that I've preached for, oops, Over this last 40 minutes, we've focused on him. But you know, hope and joy and life and victory is for every single day of our lives. I want to wake up every morning with hope and joy in my life. I don't want to be under the weight of my circumstances. I want to wake up every morning and know that today I'm going to be victorious in Jesus. So, This isn't just a Sunday morning fix. Sometimes we can come to church, we want our Sunday morning fix of Jesus, our Sunday morning fix of God that will set us up for the week. My challenge to us this morning is this. We look to Jesus every day. Not just for now, it's not just for this 40 minutes. And I want to be really practical in concluding. Could we just have the band? We're going to sing a song in a second. I want us to be really practical this morning. And I'm going to challenge us to, this week, if you don't already do this, this week, spend five minutes each day just thinking about Jesus. That's all I'm asking for. Some will do a lot longer, but but right now I want us to make a commitment. If we want to live in the joy and the hope and the expectation and the victory that Jesus has for us this week, make a commitment right now. Five minutes every day, that's just 35 minutes over the rest of the week. I'm going to spend focusing on Jesus.